The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Okay, today we are discussing uh, number 69 of uh, Identity and Finances. I've labeled this particular message, uh, Choose This Day, and it's probably not the best title for this uh, particular message because we are actually dealing with the 10 decisions that leave a nation into despair. So our share time of talking about despair was obviously kind of a, a setup for this. But if someone would read for us Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34, those 10 verses for our 10 decisions, that would be awesome. And if you want to stand as the Word of God is being read, that would be a great idea as well. You may be seated. So here we have a mandate being presented to us by the Lord that is, of course, red letters, which means Jesus Jesus is saying this. Be anxious for absolutely nothing in our life. And I don't know about you guys, but that is probably my greatest challenge. And here's what I'm finding is that the that particular race of people, for example, have had a single objective their entire history and now continuous history. Keeps on going. Because see, what I just said is history. The split second that is between history and the future is what we call present time. And see, if we really truly understood how the Spirit of the living God works, the Spirit of the living God is always giving to us spiritual thoughts to become spiritual words that are of the future, because we haven't said them yet. So the reality, stay with me, any of you science people uh, know this and, and love this fact, is that the present is not even a split second. I'm not trying to throw something out to you guys to kind of play with your minds a little bit. I'm trying to show you something because this is how Satan lives. See, what I just said to you is in the past. It's history. Now, as God gives thoughts into this mortal mind of mine, it becomes a future statement because it hasn't come off my tongue yet. So the present of when it's being said quickly gets tossed to the past. That's why I use the term in all of my writings as continuous history. Present is the realm that Satan deceives because split second between the future and the past is less than a split second. 
But if Satan can develop a complete worldview off of the present, that's where he will be able to play with your mind the most. Satan is a god of the past. God is a god of the future and the past. Forever that way and forever that way for God is his worldview. So when John was brought up into the spiritual realm, John saw things happening in 2100 BC, and he saw things happening 2100 in the future, all at the same time. Because see, there really is no present with God. His present is everything that way and everything that way, and it's his full worldview. It's kind of like being in an airplane looking down, and you see this accident on the other side of the hill, and you see cars coming over this hill, crashing into this pileup, and every single one of the cars are crashing. And you see this semi-truck, and you know he's going to come up over the hill and he's going to crash and hit these, this pile up. And the only way to get to that, that, that truck driver is to have some kind of a, a communication going on where the guy in the airplane could say, there's an accident over the hill and there are innocent children laying on the highway and you're going to run over them. God put this, this reception, this antenna, this Holy Spirit inside his children so that he can communicate in respects of stopping certain stupid decisions that humans make that cause more harm and destruction for others. And so the enemy knows that and goes, well, I'm going to get that truck driver caught up in the present listening to another station, singing away, you know, just completely distracted, caught up in the beauty of the Creator, and not listening to someone who has full world view of what is going to happen. That truck driver is going to run over eight children. Well, whose fault is that? The guy in the airplane who saw the whole thing happening before it happened? Or is it the truck driver because he was distracted by another channel? Caught up in the present things around him. It was the truck driver's responsibility. He didn't tune into the right station. Now that is basically what Jesus is revealing to us in this passage. We're so caught up in the, the being concerned about the things in life that it's creating this anxious feeling. We get so focused on the anxious feeling that we forget the reality of what God is saying here. And he says, do not be concerned about what you will eat today. Do not be concerned about what you... Do not be concerned. He, he's got this world view going, I got it all covered. And why are you like all concerned and anxious and whatever about this stuff? And it's because you can't see over the hill. If you just had as much control as God had, you would be safe, Right? That's what turns us into being control freaks. Plain and simple. Let's take a look at our opening paragraph today. The word is absolutely clear. We cannot serve two masters at one time. The person will ultimately hate the one and love the other, or minimally they're going to serve one or cling to one and reject the other. We hate double-minded uh, views even in our own mind. We have the tendency to be loyal to the person, place, or thing that we're looking at. Satan knows that. Now if we would have went online with our little discussion about evil movies and evil games and all that stuff that we went through, 
I can pretty much assure you just from knowing a little bit about statistics that your average Indewalt Christian would blow it off because they are reading Harry Potter to their children at night. They have already justified evil as Christ. Do you know how offensive that is to me? It should be offensive to you to call something Jesus Christ that is just flat out from the mind of Satan just because he cloaks it with a glowing light and we label it Jesus Christ. Any online listener worldwide, if you can find me one thing in the Harry Potter series that has got Jesus Christ all over it, I'll repent. That's like trying to find Jesus Christ in the, in the Satanic Bible. But it is giving more power to Satan over Jesus. You see, a lot of people are using the defense that Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Quran so many times. And it is, he is. But they don't understand the historical document well enough to understand that Muslims actually say in their scriptures that Jesus Christ is not God. He's not the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was only a prophet. And for some reason, ministries and churches, Christians, are switching to the crystal movement by the droves. By the droves. It's the fastest growing religion in America today. Crystal movement has swept this country in two years. Why? Because there's so much evil coming from the Muslims, they have to justify, they have to find some kind of Jesus Christ in it. So when they hear that Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Quran many, many, many times, they are now saying, well, they must be of Jesus too. No, they're actually saying that their God has power over Jesus Christ. Same way in the Satanic Bible. Same way in writings all over the world who mention the light and life of Christ as one of the masters, but he's not the master. So how do you get the truck driver to, to, to miss the warning signs? Put someone in the passenger seat who's whispering other things to him. To get his mind on earthly things. See, what was that uh, warning and help that was given to us by, I believe it was Paul? Set your mind on things above, things above and not on things below. See? As soon as you, you change your reception to the guy in the airplane, <coughs> the God of the universe to setting your mind on things of the earth, you're going to crash and run over innocent people. In fact, God goes on to say that, that it is impossible to serve God in money, which is our topic, at the same time. It's impossible. God wants us to choose today which one, which master we are actually going to serve. So we're going to talk about, talk about ten fleshly decisions. And these ten fleshly decisions is men, women, and nations that uh, put themselves in the position by their decisions that God is going to have to make his decision to humble us. So let's take a look at decision number one. Using Christianity to gain personally. But that is, that's the kind of thing that is happening to our church. Instead of writing things to give them away, we tend to write things to 
advance ourselves and to prosper to stabilize the bottom line. So the emphasis is not no longer the message. The emphasis is now what can I do properly in the marketing world to get this to advance in the name of Jesus Christ? Prosper in the name of Jesus. So, number one is people or nations who refer to themselves as Christian, that's in quotes, but yet follow the uh, mandates and the principles of an evil world that mocks God. God is not to be mocked. In fact, if he is mocked in this fashion, he is obligated by himself to effect this simple statement from him, for whatever a man, nation, sows, this he will also reap. If we do not understand that the gardening effect from the garden is not still in effect, in the non-gardening, then we're deceived. See, everything seems to be about a seed to God. The seed of Adam, Jesus talked about. Jesus said, I'm the second Adam. I'm the seed of righteousness. Adam had the seed of sin. And everything seemed to be about the seed. Whatever a man pulls from the ground will be by the sweat of his brow and the, the toil and the... And, you know, why? Because God cursed the ground. You look at Cain and Abel, and why was Cain so distressed and anxious? Cain was a violator of this passage, was he not? Why was he so anxious? Cain had to deal with double jeopardy. One, he had sin inside of him because of Adam's choice. And two, he was trying to bring a pure sacrifice from something he was called a tiller of the ground, he, and he, he did not have a pure sacrifice before God because the very thing he was pulling from the ground was cursed. Do you understand that? He had double jeopardy. He was sin, and at the same time, what he was trying to bring forth from the ground was sin. God was making a point. He was using Cain to do it. That is not what got Cain in trouble. What got Cain in trouble was his anger. Because God says, why are you angry? Do you have good reason to be angry? Don't you realize that sin is crouched at your door? That's where that term came from. But in the Hebrew, that is not what it says. In the Hebrew, it says, do you not know that Satan is crouched at your door? And see, that's what happens is, is Christians do not realize Who's crouched at the door? Who's sitting in the, the passenger seat talking to us, whispering to us, getting us to be earthly focused? You see, the problem that Cain was having is he was earthly focused. And Abel was so focused on making sure that he brought forth a pure sacrifice, a lamb. God was not interested in saying how bad Cain was versus Abel. God wanted us to see what caused Cain to go sour, to go bad, to become a serial killer, was the simple fact that he had anger in his life. And sin was crouched at his door. Satan was crouched at his door. And what happened is he was put in a position of serving a different master. Number two, playing with evil. Playing with the edge of evil is using demonic and worldly answers to bail yourself out of consequences granted by God. What are some of these worldly solutions? You got a credit card racked up to $35,000. There are hundreds, if not thousands of ways that you can find solutions to stupid decisions that you made. I've been there several times. I'm going to sell my house, pay off all my debt. I've literally done that one. And literally have no money to advance for the future. But I did the right thing in selling my house and paying off all my debt. 
It goes on and on and on and on. When that is not where we're supposed to be focused, where we're supposed to be focused is getting them at this age and saying, you know, how much do you have in that envelope? Or if the child says, I'm going to give to, you know, those orphans, you know, in Liberia and whatever, and then you go, well, how much do you have in your giving envelope? Well, I've only got $3. Well, how much do you have in your spending envelope? Well, there's $52. Well, it's your choice. Add the $3 and take as much out of your spending money as you want. It's called offering. People think offering and tithing are the exact same thing. They are not. Tithing is in your tithing envelope. Offering is all the other envelopes. Except for your debt. Being in debt and trying to give an offering. If you take offering out of your debt money, you're irresponsible. That's what we should be training our children so when they grow up, they go, well, I simply can't afford. When Janie and I got married, you could buy a brand new vehicle for $4,000. Some even cheaper than that. Those same vehicles, those same models today are upward of thirty dollars to $40,000. That was the price of a house back when we got married. A nice one, nice house. Whereas today, you can't even buy a shack for $30,000, but you can buy a pretty decent car. So when you see these young couples on television or in your neighborhood who've got tiny little children and they have this unbelievable, beautiful house that they're living in, and each of them have brand new vehicles, you really got to ask yourself, how are they doing that? How are young people starting out with a half a million dollars of debt? Because they have their school debt, four years of college is average how much? Huh? 140,000. New house, 250 to 350. I mean, the, the nice ones, a lot of them are starting out with. We're already pushing the edge of a half a million dollars of debt. And they're 24. You see what's happening? And it's because of the hope that they have that they can pay down that debt by doing certain responsible things. And when they realize their education is not working for them, but they're still working for their education, many, 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 many years later after their education, they get depressed so those who have doctorate degrees because they've worked and worked and worked and worked thinking the higher the degree, the more cash. And as it turns out, our society doesn't support that anymore. There used to be a day if you had a doctorate, they would pay you very well. Not anymore. So you're, not, you're just like the guy at McDonald's and you have a doctorate. You're having to work just as hard. The depression kicks in. Despair. See how it works? And now our young people are starting out that way. Instead of realizing. Can you imagine this? Realizing. As a young person. You're probably never. Ever going to be able to afford a brand new vehicle. Most people will never have $50,000 set aside in an envelope for a brand new car. It's just not going to happen. But do you know what happened if we would reverse the style of economy we have? And people only paid for cash vehicles? Do you realize what would happen? The entire economic system of that nation would implode. But we've been lying to ourselves, telling the whole world we're the most prosperous country in the world, and the truth being said, we are the most 
well, second to the bottom, most in-debt country in the world. So we keep lying to our children that we're living in prosperity when the truth of the matter is even our government cannot buy a new car without paying cash. I mean, and paying cash to do it. They have to go in debt. It's a serious problem. Number three, true faith mixed with flesh. The obvious result of this is there is no more true faith. So for those who want to be emergent or lukewarm, well, then you might be able to live off this for a little while. But it would only be a little while. People who mix the principles of God with lies of Satan get the worst of the worst treatment from God. Not only does, does uh, Satan love this, he finds uh, in this, not only does Satan love this, he finds in this the air of globalization. If you can get an entire world in debt, and since money has no value in the eternal realm, the spiritual realm, there's no, in the demonic realm, there's no exchange of money to get things done. Right? Then what is there in the spiritual world to get things done? What was Satan asking of Jesus in that little discussion he was having with him that day? There was an exchange being discussed. Worship. You bow and worship me, Identity. and I will give you whatever you see. Whatever, whatever you see before that hill comes, I'll give it to you. There is always an exchange. In the spiritual world, psychological world, and physical world. Money just happens to be used in the exchange, money exchange, here on earth. Globalization is shifting them from debt physical to debt spiritual. That is the technique that Satan's going to use to have the entire world bow down and worship him. That's how he's going to do it. Number four. Submission to jealousy. The evidence of being filled with jealousy is contradicting a teacher of truth. If you look at Acts 13.45, it'll show you that. The crazy thing is that contradiction almost always turns into blasphemy of God. Duh. When a person comes against truth, a truth preacher of the word, he comes against God. Why? Because God is in the truth there as an indwell believer. And what you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto God. So the way Satan can get at God is through the truth sayers. And the closer we get to the end time, the less truth sayers there will be. In fact, there's going to be so few truth sayers God has to bring two prophets back from the old, put them on earth again, and to preach. I don't know if you ever thought that through. There will be so few preachers left who actually say it the way it really is. The remainder of the preachers globally, worldwide, will be scared to death of this vicious enemy coming into their hometown, slinging their spiritual sword, or maybe even physical sword, threatening the people, and they do deny Christ, not by saying the words, but by not saying the words. You see, it's more honest for someone to deny Christ by saying, I deny Christ. I, I'm more concerned about my human life. That's more honest than to someone who just turns their head in betrayal. 
We're going to see a lot of that in the end times. People just turning their head and walking away from truthsayers. Stand too close to that one, you're going to get it. And that's what the world is coming to. Number five, commercial Christianity. There is no better story in my eyes than that of Gideon. Most of the fami- most are familiar with his miraculous work of conquering the Medeans, Midianites uh, to free Israel. Few are aware of the offer placed before Gideon by the people to be their king. He refused and asked instead for all the gold earrings of the enemy. He then took this gold and made a goldy pod vest for the priest to wear, much like the story of Aaron's golden calf. How many were aware of that story? You see, it's just a little twist, isn't it? I mean, they're offering kind of what Satan was offering Jesus. You may have all of what... Well, Jesus turned that down and the gold. The prophet that came with it. Gideon did not. Somehow, if we can connect gold to the tabernacle, gold to the ministry... Gold to the church, we've justified the gold. So if I can just, of course prophets need to live in large homes. Of course they do. Of course the preacher needs the best. Really? Well, we need to take a look at that. Number six, taking credit for God's work as I'm kind of punning here in this uh, paragraph I have an idea let's take God's thoughts words inspirations through the power of the Holy Spirit copyright them and then require mankind to pay for them with the promise to never rewrite reprint reproduce or digitally master them Well, you guys already know how much that drives me crazy. That's why I like to remix things and send it right back to the author and say if there's any any additions to this thing that I believe I got from the Holy Spirit that could even make this faster and better way to get the message out, please feel free to do it. I have some of these artists coming back saying, I'm with you, let's do this together. Then I have others who threaten me. Do you realize that in the front of your Bibles there is a statement that you agreed to when you bought the Bible that you cannot reprint in any form. I would not be able to put the scriptures on the screen today. I would not be able to do anything but quote verbally the Bible. If you kept to the law of the letter of the law of copyright. Reproduction. That is exactly what we have done, and it's a technique that the enemy has used to stop the gospel from being reproduced in the world today. That's why we put in small print, we do get the copyright thing on our material because you don't want to be copyrighted out of your own material. So we'll do the little copyright thing, so we'll file, we'll get a, you know, a a Library Congress number and blah, blah, blah. And then we say you have the right to reproduce this. Permission granted for classroom use. Take it. Run with it. Just leave it intact. That's kind of a movement I'm behind. And that's what's kind of behind our publishing house is to publish authors' materials and give it back to them saying... You own the copyright so you can do this. So you can give it away freely. But that is not how our system is set up, is it? Our system is set up for money. So people are literally quoting the Holy Spirit's inspiration that goes on in their mind as they're sitting in the office writing or, or whatever it is that they're working on, mid, uh, media material or whatever, and they're copywriting it 
and threatening you. Like with one of my videos, I actually have permission from the uh, recording company to do the remix and to post it. But the company that I'm posting it with won't let me post it. They literally turned it off. And I have permission from the people who made it. They don't want to be sued. They don't want to open the door for that to be given permission for other remixers. That's what we've come to. You, you cannot even give permission and you're the original author. Why? Because the company who owns the copyright owns the book. The company who owns the copyright owns the video. See how it works? Now the original author who is blessed by the Lord to get this into print or video cannot use it. Number seven. Worshipping Jesus and money at the same time. Have you ever seen that in a church? I mean, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. Let's all sing worship songs to money this morning. I mean, it kind of sounds stupid, doesn't it? It is a massive problem in our church today. This is the bling bling rich young ruler that Jesus was addressing in Luke chapter 18, 18 through 34. Smart money makers have always found it easy to package and expect all others to be able to do what they do, which is why they are rich. If I can do it, you want to finish the statement? You can do it. Really? Probably not. But we put together these little prosperity packages and we get other ministries and corporate leaders and whatever to do what we do, turn it into seminars and charge for those seminars. Prosperity doctrines are nothing more or less than multi-leveling Jesus. That's all it is. Tell a friend, get them to donate, they'll send you the free prayer book. The Bible's rich young ruler came to Jesus asking for eternal life. Remember that? But of course he got challenged when Jesus said, Sure, I'll give you eternal life. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then come back and talk to me. And of course, that's exactly what the rich young ruler did, right? No. Too much for him. Acts 4.34 and verse 35 says, For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each as any had need. Literally needs that they probably got into because of stupid decisions. The church is still responsible to care for those needs. Do you understand that? Because it's that act of grace that says to them, I probably shouldn't do this again because the body is actually taking care of my consequences. That's the grace of God. And it stops you from making more disastrous decisions. At least it's supposed to. So are there people in that church that are going to come to that church because they know there's a cash cow at the front of the church every Sunday and they're going to pay for whatever? Yes. There are many of us who take advantage of Jesus for financial reasons. And if I remember correctly, Jesus had one of them too. And he didn't get all harassed about it. In fact, he let him hold the money. This is a, this is a nothing snapshot, really. I mean, when I was online looking up, I typed in top ten wealthiest preachers. This is nothing. 
I was embarrassed sitting there doing the research on how much our preachers have in, in this nation. This is just a quick snapshot to show you that if this was actually carried out, there wouldn't be any need for social welfare in this country. I read in World Magazine last night that if you just took America, the Christians as self-proclaimed Christians, and gathered them all together in America, we would have more resources than any nation in the entire world. Just the church-going Christians, self-proclaimed Christians in America. We'd be a nation all by ourselves. Why is that important to understand? And why would this magazine want you and I to know that? Is because that is how nations are formed. The religious groups that consume more and more dominance of a territory until they say, we don't care if your UN agrees that we're a nation or not. We are a nation. And if you come against us, we will protect our nation. The Jews were formed that way into Israel. The Muslims were formed that way into the Islamic nation. And etc., 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 etc. Catholic Church became a nation. They are literally a registered nation with the UN because of their religious movement of putting churches absolutely everywhere they possibly could. Then they just came out with a statement and said, We are a nation. Well, who's going to argue with them? Would you want the Knight Templars chasing you down with a sword and cut your head off? Because that was their army. They're called Masons. You see, that's how it works, but for some reason, Christians are afraid to call themselves a nation when God himself said, for you are a holy nation. So this is a very unique time that we are in because we're so clouded by wealth. Number eight, accusing another Christian. The first sign of love is obviously loyalty. Today we live in a society of children that literally rise up, they grow up, and they murder their parents. That's what this verse is saying. That's the culture we're living in. Children are growing up wanting to be killers. You say, that's just crazy. Really? You might want to read the news tonight. Because there are young people who are excited about beheading people for the name of their God, their religion, their daddies. We're in those times today, guys. We are constantly accusing each other of stuff and hostility and anger. Satan is crouched at the door. Man's loyalty is where his money is invested. As many of you know, Judas was the coin keeper for the disciples, and we know how that story turned out. The coin keeper is the one that committed the greatest act of betrayal. Number nine is this buy some praise. Many Christians financially support their church's favorite causes or charity uh, for the pure, maybe not so pure reason of wanting the praise. And that is, I gave such and such a dollars, so I'd like to have my name on the building. So now it's Dr. So-and-so's building, but it's on the campus of such and such a Christian school. They're buying praise. And they want their name to go through the generations, and that's a great way to do it, is to get a statue out front of the college or to get a a name on that building because whenever they recondition that building they have to leave the name intact it's buying praise number 10 is buying spirituality now, I told you the story a while back about the guy who slid a $10,000 check in front of me and, uh, and I looked at the check and I said what's this for and he said, take care of my family. 
And I'm staring at this check, $10,000, and I don't know if you know much about our ministry, but we're definitely a hand-to-mouth ministry. And so I'm looking at this $10,000 check, and I'm like, well, now that could take care of us for a while. And the Lord says, he's buying you. So I took the $10,000 check, and I slid it back in front of him, and I said, from this day forward, there will be no talk of money in regard to your discipleship. I will not receive funds from you. Two years later, he was in prison for doing that in the world of real estate. Buying spirituality. He didn't want to take up his job to care for his family spiritually, so he was about ready to pay me to take care of his wife and children spiritually because he wasn't around for obvious reasons. Here's our identity statement for today, folks. I think it is time for us to carefully review how we can truly serve God instead of money. If asked, most self-proclaimed Christians would say that they serve God rather than Satan. They would be quick to deny they love money more than Jesus. But when put to the test, most of these Christians would choose the quiet deception of money over true Christianity. How do I know this? Well, when you ask, if God asked you to sell everything you had, live in poverty the rest of your life, and beg for bread for the sake of the gospel, would you do it? And most up front say, yes. But they leave my office maintaining their present lifestyle of debt. That is the truest test. That's what Jesus used. It's what we're to use today. It doesn't mean Jesus would have required that of him. Do you understand that? It'd be like one of these rich preachers coming in and saying, Would you sell every one of those homes, all 12 of them, for me to grant you true salvation. Not media salvation. True salvation. Would they do it? I know some that have done that. And return to a session a year later. As we asked one of the richest men in the southwest to do. Is we wouldn't have another session with them until he agreed to pay the tithe he robbed from God for a handful of years, which was millions of dollars. We said, we're not going to have another session with you until you, you pay that off. And he did. And you wouldn't believe how God has prospered this man since that day. Well, we don't give that homework assignment to everyone that comes in. But that was one that we believe God was saying, you need to tell this man. See, it's, is he willing to do this? Is he really here asking for spiritual guidance and, and uh, discipleship? Test him. But I'm telling you, my experience with most young men in the world today, and old men, is they not smile at you to get away from you. And as soon as they are away from you, they go right back to their boats and jet skis and big houses and whatever it is they're working on. It's not that, that they're going to be required to sell off. It is the heart. And see, it wasn't Cain's offering, was it? It was his heart. He was playing this with Abel. Why would you accept Abel's offering and not mine? And God already had this worldview of going, he is about to murder his, his brother over wheat. Really? I don't think wheat had anything to do with it. It was a test, and he failed. That's what today's message is about. It's a test. Would we really do whatever God asks us to do for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Easier said than done.
I am pacing my office and I am just restless and I can only try to give you a snapshot of how much goes through this little brain of mine and listening to the Lord and praying and pleading with God and and I have wonderful resources on my bookshelves and I'm standing there looking up on the top bookshelf of one of my favorite books and the story comes to mind of George Mueller in the last five years of his life. Beautiful library. Floor to ceiling with books. One of those old estate libraries, if you could picture that. And five years before George Mueller died, there were three books in that whole library. I can see the library in my mind, just an old British beautiful library, wood everywhere, three books. One was a book he wrote about himself. Two was a book that was wrote about him, which is on my bookshelf. And three was the Bible. That he had been reduced down to the opinions of man and how important they were to him to finally come into what does it really what really matters anyway? What people say about your ministry, what you say about your ministry, and what God says about his ministry. That's really what matters, right? And that was a ministry moment for me in my tiny little library of God saying, Stephen, that's all that matters. What others are observing about you, what you observe about yourself, and what I observe about you. Thank you, online listeners, for listening today. We're going to turn the podcast off so that we can go to our local questioning and answering. But if you do have a question that needs an answer, I would certainly be willing to dialogue with you through the scriptures to come up with an answer for you. Please log on to the website address that's coming up next. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.